Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's a reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 16. Hello and welcome. My name is Chris. They call me the Reformed Singaporean. And today I'm joined by my good friend, David. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> and yeah, and together in this episode, we are going to uh, celebrate a very special day. Okay, uh, this is a, I, I guess you could say a special episode because today is Reformation Day. Wow, Reformation Day. Woo! Wow! <laughs> yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, Martin Luther King Jr. No, not. <laughs> uh, uh, so, it's 31st October, and we reform folks, okay? Uh, and if you tune into my podcast, which is called The Reform Singaporean, you should have some idea of what we are big about on this podcast. And a big part of that is reform theology. Now, of course, while Reformed theology is such a big topic on its own, you could say that a lot of the roots of it, or rather, a lot of how it became revitalized in Christian culture is due to the Reformation, okay, Reformation Day, which happened slightly more than 500 years ago, uh, in the year 1517, on the same day, October 31st, while most of the world will be celebrating Halloween, uh, celebrating trick or trick or treat, dressing up like ghosts or demons or whatever, uh, we in the Reformed tradition, we will be thinking about something else altogether. Now, yeah, so I, I, I've gotten my, my friend David to talk about, I guess, some things. We'll, we'll be focusing on some questions in today's episode. For example, what, what on earth is Reformation Day um, in a nutshell? What, why is it important? Why is it relevant, especially to us Singaporeans? Why did something 500 years ago that happened on the other side of the world be so relevant to us today, you know, 500 years later in the small island of Singapore. Okay, so maybe to kick us off, uh, yeah, Dave, could you tell us a bit about what, what on earth is Reformation Day about? Why do we even celebrate okay. it? Yeah. Okay, so before I talk about Reformation Day proper, which is October 31st, 1517, it must be seen in its historical context. So you go back a few hundred years before and we see that there are some Christians who are disagreeing with the Roman Catholic Church right people like John Wycliffe and Yen Hus these people are like hey Roman Catholic Church your teachings are wrong but then of course the, the, the church says you know keep quiet and then of course one of them was actually uh, burned uh, on the stake which is uh, Yen Hus right for John Wycliffe it was another case John Wycliffe died but then his opponents tried to dig up his bones to burn them. So <laughs> either way, they really hated these two people. Yeah. But then after a few hundred years later, there's a guy, a monk, uh, called uh, Martin Luther. And Martin Luther himself also um, felt that the Roman Catholic Church uh, was not uh, biblical. The practices weren't biblical, were quite pagan. Um, and so on the 31st of October, 1517, he wrote 95 Theses. Right, or 95 things he wanted to talk about with the church in the academic debate. And as proper at that time, he would nail his 95 theses on the church door. Right? And again, he wasn't start he wasn't intending to protest. He was just wanting to say, hey, I want to have a 
an academic debate on these 95 things I disagree with, your ch- with the church. So, pam, let's have a debate. <laughs> of course, um, people walked around it, people saw it, and actually the printing press made it made this document available to everyone, and that's how the Reformation started, and a lot of things happened. But when we talk about Reformation Day, we are actually talking about the day when Nathan Luther nailed uh, his 95 theses on the church door, which sparked off properly the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, I think that was a great summary. I, I think you will be quite familiar with it since you're going through this very topic yeah. of your church, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you sound like you were giving some project presentation, which is great, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I hope we, we caught what David said towards the end of his summary, where he said this is what sparked the Protestant Reformation, right? And for those of us, those of us listening, whether you hold to the reform tradition or reform theology or not, right? You would at least, you know, call yourself an evangelical or rather a Protestant, yeah. And I think the roots of Protestant, uh, Protestantism, really came out of the Reformation. Yeah, whether you hold to reform theology or not, your church, your denomination has its roots in some shape or form from the Reformation. So you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So. I'm not sure whether, you know, for those of us listening, whether your churches would even talk about this day. Some churches do, some some don't. Uh, but yeah, in this episode, we hope to really tell you guys why we really hold it so dear to our hearts, why we really treasure this day, and why we really give thanks to God for, um, yeah, this amazing event in history, you know, where God uses such an unlikely person, you know, such a, a great sinner, uh, to really spark something, you know, to really show God's glory, you know, in, in weakness, to show God's glory in, you could say, the underdog. Right? Um, so yeah, so that, that's something that happened 500 years ago. Um, and I think out of that also birthed what we call the five solas of the Reformation, right? The five solas of the Reformation, which uh, to put it very quickly, is sola fide. It's all Latin. So sola fide is for the, the fact that we are saved by faith alone. And then there's sola gratia, which is we, uh, we are also saved by grace alone. Okay, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. Sola scriptura, by the authority of the scriptures alone. And lastly, soli deo gloria, all to the glory of God alone. So it's, it's really a gospel statement. You realize those five points... Okay, uh, uh, slightly different from the five points of Calvinism, which we talked about in another episode. But the five solas of the Reformation simply talk about how are we saved, right? We are saved. Uh, and, and, and this was crafted in contrast to what the Roman Catholic Church held on to. For example, they, they, they said, you know, we are saved by faith in Christ plus our works, you know. Uh, we are saved by the merits of Christ plus the merits of others, you know, maybe merits of other saints or maybe our own merits, uh, you know, we are saved by grace plus you know, these other things as well. You know, we, uh, then they would say Christ is our mediator plus other mediators, right? You no, know, that kind of thing. And scripture plus church tradition is our authority, you know, all, all that kind of thing. So the five solas was to counter against such beliefs, you know, that we are saved by faith alone, you know, in, by grace alone, in Christ alone by the authorities of the scriptures alone and all glory to, be, to God alone, right? So, so that's just a very quick rundown on, I guess, a bit of the background of this event in history, right? So w- with all of that in mind, okay, with all of that in mind, 
maybe let's bring it to our 21st century context because that, that's really the main thing I want to talk about. You know, uh, other than, yeah, Reformation Day, it's great. It's an important event. Uh, go and read up more on it and, and really see its influence and importance in church history, uh, how it brought us to where we are today. But I think the focus, okay, the focus I want to get at in this episode is in Singapore, right? We bring it to the context of Singapore. And I'm sure, you know, uh, Dave or myself or maybe some of our listeners we might have concerns. Right? We, we, we might, as Christians, look around us and we see some very troubling things, right? Whether it be the rise of you know, liberalism, you know, secular humanism, all, all these things, right? Uh, wanting to do away with all religion, wanting to you know, be tolerant of all beliefs and worldviews. I mean, these are just some examples, right? But I'm pretty sure, you know, Dave, you can agree with me when I say that even 500 years later, as much as the church has reformed in the sense where a lot of our beliefs have really gone back to what the Bible says, okay, and, and that's good, and, and that's something to praise God for. However, I also think that, you know, you can agree with me when I say that there are still many battles to be fought. You know, there are still many parts of, you know, Christian, Christianity versus whatever, you know, versus everything else, right, that, that still need to be addressed. Maybe yep. if you can you know, shed some light on this, maybe in Singapore's context, what are some battles that you think really need to be fought? I think um, one would be definitely the prosperity gospel, very clear. Um, another one is uh, the charismatic movement. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the charismatic movement, um, as you can see in the teachings, a lot of it, um, they embrace... Um, uh, reformation um, doctrines like oh you know you're saved by Jesus alone right people like Joseph Prince he says that you're not saved by your works of the law but you're saved purely by faith in Christ that's what he says in one of his sermons praise God you know that's something that Martin Luther would even agree but then the next thing you know he says that if you believe in the gospel um, then of course all your sufferings and afflictions ought to be gone right or <laughs> when, if you give money to the church it will go back to you. Whenever you reap, you sow, right? So if you went yeah, to a church, yeah. you'll be blessed, right? So you can see, um, as well, that's also one thing, like, you know, the, the charismatic movement, the prosperity gospel movement. Um, but I think for me specifically, um, in my context, the one that's more, in the more conservative uh, circles of evangelicalism, I think one prevailing doctrine, which is, is it articulated, it was a, is it a doctrine, but it's an attitude, is pragmatism. Right. Very right. subtle, very scary. Because no one will say I'm a pragmatist. pragmatist right? No one will say I'm just I don't I care about practical things more than God. No one will say that. Yeah. But then the way you act, you know, why do you do church? Or oh, because we're scared church members will go away. Why do we do this? Because we don't want to offend someone. You know, you, you know what I mean? So the, yeah, the primary yeah. reasons of which people do things is not based on scripture, but based on practical matters. So I think that is one battle of which I think the conservative evangelicalism people um, need to fight. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. You know, I um I see it all around us, even in churches that might take the Bible very seriously, in the way that they do church. For example, it can look a lot like a business, like running a business, trying to keep customers, trying to, you know, satisfy customers above all things. You know, cu customers always right, 
No, even if they are even if they are going against the Bible, but customers always right, you know <laughs> that kind of principle. Uh, and others, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot more than that in the era of pragmatism. But yeah, I mean for sure that that's one of the battles. I think the prosperity gospel, um, for those of our listeners who might not be familiar, is basically how some preachers out there who claim to be Christians, they will say that uh, Jesus you know, loves you and he wants to you know, make you feel good, you know, make you the best that you can be. And what they mean by that is, you know, if you become a Christian, yes, they will talk about forgiveness of sins and all of that you know, good stuff. But more than that, okay, more than just forgiveness of sins, actually, if you come to Jesus, you know, maybe he will fix your depression, or maybe he will fix your finances, or he will fix your marriage, or what, whatever, you know, he will guarantee your, your job promotion, or, or you know, all this, all this talk, you know, all this kind of language uh, about material blessings, uh, you know, material wealth, health and wealth, we call it the health and wealth gospel, uh, and yeah, in Singapore, this is very big. It's a very big deal. Uh, our biggest so-called churches, okay, the um, like City Harvest Church and New Creation Church. I, if I'm not wrong, their weekly congregation, okay, before COVID, their weekly congregation, you know, they gather together. It's about fifty thousand people, maybe more than that. I think uh, at least fifty thousand people or more, right? And and. This, yeah, this is not a small matter. And why I think, okay, this might my, my, my take on it, I, I, why I think it's so popular in Singapore is because in our culture, right, we have a God of wealth, you know, we have a God of blessing, you know, whatever, God of fertility or, you know, you name it. We are very similar to, you know, Greek gods and, and all of that stuff. You know, there's a God for each, like, blessing. Um, and I think Chinese people in general, they hear of Jesus Okay, and of course, they'll, they'll say how Jesus is above all other gods, right? On one hand, yes, that's true. But then they say, yeah, if I can have this God that's above all other gods of blessing, <laughs> you know, imagine how much this God can bless me. More than, you know, Guaning, more than all these other gods, right? That's why they go to Jesus when they hear about wealth and health, if that is what Jesus is offering them. But of course, we know that's not what the Bible says about what Christianity offers. That's not what Jesus offers. Right. In fact, we know that Jesus says, you know, come and die. You know, when Jesus says, follow me, he bids a person come and die. You know, die to their sin. You know, give up, lose, lose the earth if you have to. You know, lose your uh, earthly possessions if you have to. Right. Um, so, I, I think yeah, you're, you're very right in saying that the prosperity gospel is one. Okay, it's one of the many battles, you know, for need for reformation that I think we need to solidify. Uh, I, I think another one, okay, it's quite related to what you shared. You know, you shared about pragmatism. Uh, I think I will add on to what you said about the charismatic movement. I think more than just the prosperity gospel, we also have the charismatic movement. All right. Uh, and of course, we know if you look at history, this, has, this is a very new recent movement. Okay, it, it only really got popularized in, let's say, the 1800s. Right? You have a few uh, preachers from the West, they rise up, you know, they send missionaries to Asia. Uh, and yeah, in Asia, in Singapore, the charismatic movement is rampant. It's spreading. It's global now, you know. Uh, you know, battle music, Hillsong Church, their music. It's in pretty much every single Christian Spotify playlist, right? Uh, at least got one Hillsong or battle playlist in almost every Christian's Spotify uh, and that's how much their influence has, has grown, you know, and it only continues growing, right? Now, why is that a problem? Now, um, what I just raised can be quite controversial because 
I don't think this is very well known. You know, it's not very common today for people to speak out against the charismatic movement. Because to some, they might say, huh, is this really a battle that needs to be fought? You know, I was speaking to a person at my, at my own church, okay? Uh, I had a convo with a person at my own church, and uh, yes, she disagrees with you know, battle, she disagrees with Hillsong, like their doctrines and stuff, but she still questions, you know, she still questions, is it really worth our time and energy investing, you know, trying to get people out of those movements compared to, you know, let's invest our time and energy reaching out to the secularists, or reaching out to the Buddhists you know, who worship at the temple, who, who you know, are really very clear that they don't worship Jesus. Right? Shouldn't we invest more of our time and energy into those other groups rather than these people who, you know, at least they have some you know, shape or form understanding of Jesus, right? At least you know, they're better off compared to the other group of people. So uh, I was talking to this church member and I, I was just explaining, you know, as much as, Yes, uh, you know, there are all these different groups of people who are lost. I don't think we should segregate them, you know, into two very distinct separate groups of people. You know, that we need to dedicate more energy into this one group more than this other group. No, I think they're both the same. Okay, I would say that we need to reach out to both groups the same. Because people in Battle Church, Hillsong Church, those kind of environments, okay, one of the dangers, okay, and there are so many dangers, I think maybe... I can, I can even extend that to another episode, but uh, how this relates to what you mentioned, Dave, about the whole pragmatism thing is their view of scripture, okay? Um, wh- whether your church claims to be serious about the Bible, whether your church says, I'm a Bible-believing church, it really shows in how you view scripture, okay? And that's the principle of the Reformation that I think we have to carry on um, 500 years later, today, right? There are some battles that, I guess, have been fought and have been won, okay, by the grace of God. Um, I think the influence of the Roman Catholic Church has significantly died down since then. But now we have a different battle, right? If you look at church history, all generations, there's always a different battle, right? There's always a different battle. Now we're not battling about the deity of Christ, for example, but now we're battling about the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, for, for, you know a, a, that kind of thing. But yeah, it boils down to how we view Scripture. You know, uh, as much as we can claim sola scriptura, which is one of the solas, remember, just now I was saying, you know, Scripture alone, okay, I, I have charismatic friends who might claim to hold to sola scriptura, you know, that they say, yeah, the Bible is the final authority. You know, the Bible is, has the final say. Right? They might claim to hold on to that, but in the way that they practice, right, in the way that they go about church, go about the Christian life, the way that they view things like the Holy Spirit, revela- um, no, biblical revelation and all of that, it actually might reflect something different altogether. Because we as Reformed people, we, we don't just believe in Sola Scriptura, we also believe um, in the sufficiency of Scripture. Okay, not that not only is scripture our final authority, okay, any Christian would affirm that, but is scripture sufficient? Right? I, I think that's a battle that I find in Singapore, yeah, we need to fight. And we as as you know, biblical Christians, reformed Christians, uh, we need to hold on to this, you know, sufficiency of scripture. Uh, m- maybe for some of our listeners might not be too familiar, m- maybe Dave, could you maybe explain a bit more about what that is all about? The sufficiency of scripture, yeah, yeah, is yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
as what Chris said, there will be some Christians who say that, who will affirm the ultimate um, and the final authority of Scripture, but they don't think Scripture is enough, right? And that is manifested in a few ways, right? So people will say, oh, you know, um, I need the Scriptures, I need the Bible, but I also need the Holy Spirit speaking to me in a small, still voice. Okay? So God has already spoken to them in His Word. Everything that we need to know, uh, as what the our, our Reformed Confession says, for life and faith, um, everything that's necessary, we need to know, it's already been revealed in the Bible. Right? God speaks to us through the Word. But then, there'll be some people that says, yeah, yeah, that's great, but I need additional guidance from God. I need additional revelation from God. And where does that come from? That comes from, um, that comes from the small spirit voice somehow some whisper right and that's why people that's why chris would say they will affirm the final authority of scripture but they don't affirm the sufficiency of scripture and i think another one that's a bit more uh, uh controversial would even be in terms of counseling somewhat the the, the christian counseling movement where mm, yeah christians would say you know what we need the bible to you know grow someone in faith and to counsel that someone but we also need psychology Mm. Right, we need to integrate psychology and the Bible together, and boom, you know, then we can edify the Christian or grow the Christian in faith. Of course, of which that is also another way the person, right, the Christian, right. says the scripture is not sufficient. Correct. So, yeah, those are a few ways, yeah, it's manifested. Yeah, I, I think the example that you gave is such a real example, <laughs> you know, Christian psychology. Um, and I mean, the, the very fact of that name, psychology, and now we need the Bible and psychology. It's already presupposing two different worldviews. You know, you have the Bible and your psychology, as if you know you need the two to complete the picture. Whereas actually, a lot of modern psychology is it's a worldview issue. A lot of our modern psychology is derived from a secularist mindset. You know, so again, not that psychology in and of itself is wrong, but again, where are we getting it from? Are we getting it from what the Bible says about it? Are we getting it from what the secularists say about it? Again, it's, it's a conflict of worldviews, you know, which is what we were talking about in our previous episodes, right? Well, it, it really, it boils down to worldviews and whether we as Christians, we don't think the Bible is enough, we need to resort to, you know, other perspectives. And I think that's very linked to um, the charismatic movement as a whole, right? Um, we see them saying, oh, I need the still small voice, you know, to assure me. You know, uh, uh, the Bible is not enough in essence, right? They might say it is, but I think in the, in the way that they carry themselves in many areas, it actually shows the opposite, right? Now, uh, I, yeah, so it, there's so much that could be said about that. There's really so much that could be said, you know. Uh, I think as a result, as a result, another problem in Singapore is really people's understanding of the Bible. See, we talked about their view of the Bible, which again, they don't view it as sufficient. They don't really have that high view of scripture. They just think it's one of many tools in God's toolbox in which he uses to communicate to us, right? And as a result, I, I think it naturally follows as to why so many Christians in Singapore today are so, on a very foundational level, biblically illiterate, right? You know, you have, I, I think a lot of Christians, whether it's a charismatic church or whether just, ch I think churches in general, okay, even the more conservative ones, um, somehow, just somehow Christians, 
don't possess even the most basic um, skills as to how to read and study their Bible. Now, I, I don't mean to sound arrogant. I know that this can sound very arrogant and, you know, I'm t- looking down on them, but really I- I'm not. You know, it, it's, it is such a foundational issue, um, a fundamental skill to have, but, you know, I hope that you guys can agree with me that I'm not sounding arrogant, but it's a fact, you know, that people really don't know how to study the Bible. The fact that they can use verses like, you know, when God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice, and somehow that is that must be the normative way, the same way that God has to speak to me today. You know, the fact that they can just use one verse to justify their experience, you know, to, to try and justify that, you no, know, it's normative for God to speak to me in these mystical ways, right? And of course, this all fuels their view that the Bible is not sufficient, right? I guess, again, why, why do you think so many Christians don't even know how to read their Bible? As much, as much as it's a basic skill, why, why do so few people possess that basic skill today? I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Mm, yeah, so like what, like what you said, um, first of all, they don't think the Bible is sufficient, right? So they will also prioritize a lot of, you know, um, hearing the still small voice, right? So here's a very interesting thing. So when I talk to friends, uh, Christian friends about stuff and then they're asking oh you know how do I know God's will right I'm now I'm discerning God's will right now and of course how they normally primarily talk about it is when I have a feeling so the discerning God's will is um, looking at what you think God's calling you to so it's a very feeling based subjective you know Um, but when it comes to like the Bible, when it comes to the Word of God, Scripture, it's not even mentioned, right? They'll say, yeah, the Scripture is important. I do it every day. I read my devotion every day. It tells me uh, that Jesus loves me. It tells me about sin and salvation. But when it comes to where I should go in my life, where I should direct in my life, the Scripture is not even there, right? And so all they need to know is just Bible principles, right? They don't need to know Scripture. They just need to know Scripture principles, right? So what are some application points I can get from Scripture, right? So... I think that is why most people do, they, they are biblically illiterate because they get their theology, they get the scripture from a few other ways as well. For example, from Instagram, right? Those, like those <laughs> the flowery, like the flowery and poster, like, oh, and the cast yeah, all anxieties yeah. on him for he cares for you. That kind of flowery yeah, poster. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so many. Yeah, actually, I think because of online, a lot of people just get their biblical principles from articles, right? They don't read the Bible for themselves. They just yep, get they Bible read what Terse, They read Terse articles, which is very bad, a very bad website, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so these are one of the few reasons. Lah. Yeah. Right, right. When your theology is off, you know, when your theology comes from one-liners and cliches and, <laughs> you know, whatever you name it. Yeah, and that's so true. I realized that even when I talk to some of my Christian friends, when I, sh- when I just ask them, how has God been, um, or rather, what has God been teaching you recently, right? And of course, uh, we would expect people to say, oh, I've been reading his word, you know, I've been studying this passage, and then, you know, they share. But no, I think more often than not, people say, oh, God spoke to me through this person. Mm. You know, that's one example. Very common. That's very common. Uh, I was speaking to a friend, I was sharing my struggles, and then, yeah, God really spoke to me through that person. Well, that's not exactly wrong. Okay, God can use our friends to teach us certain things about Him. Yeah. But I realized that that's the go-to. It's not 
what does God say in His Word first, primarily, but rather <laughs> is what does other things... What, no, maybe I was walking in the park and I saw the, the rainbow in the sky and then I remembered, oh, God is a God who keeps His promises. Oh, okay, it's just not even that, not even that um, example. Uh, I was looking at how the birds fly, you know, how the birds take care of one another. You know, the, the mother bird was bringing food back to his nest. I think about how God always provides for me. Oh, that, that, that kind of thing, you know. Uh, out in my silent retreat, I don't know, it, when I was meditating on the, in the silence, you know, God is, I, I remember that God is with me in, in you know, in the, in the silence. I don't know, you know, that, that kind of spiffy reflection, you know, <laughs> you know, it's always devoid of what have I learned from the scriptures, right? So again, these are other ways in which I find a lot of Christians actually show that the Bible is not sufficient, that the Bible is not even of utmost importance. It might not even be their final authority, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I mean, this can, this can really show in many areas of, of, of our life, really. And I do find that quite scary. But wow, uh, yeah, so, many, so much can be said, so much can be said about that. Uh, but I guess uh, with that, okay, so we've talked about, you know, pragmatism, we've talked about how people view the sufficiency of scripture, and with that, you know, how people are biblically illiterate, you know, uh, and, and so many things. It's, it's so scary, right? There's so many battles to be fought. That we, as much as the Reformation was done 500 years ago, we, we do see that, the, at least in these three areas, right, or I, I don't know whether it's even three areas, but at least three, these three areas, we can see why there's a major need for Reformation in Singapore. You know, why the Bible needs to be put back at the pedestal you know, that it deserves. You know, it should be lifted high again <laughs> you know, as the primary importance, uh, or, as, or rather the, the primary uh, source of rule and faith and practice and all of that, as our confessions state. Yeah. Uh, I guess with that, okay, with that, I, I wanted to go to another area. So for people like you and me, we, we see these things, okay? We, we acknowledge the problems of these things. We, we know that these things are wrong, okay? This is not what the Christian life should be all about. This is not how we should be studying our Bible. How we should, this is not how we should be viewing our Bible, etc. Um, but again, you know, I have talked about this with some of my friends. I tried to persuade them, okay? Gently and biblically. But yet, okay, these are some criticisms, okay? We, of course, you have people in the charismatic movement, criticizing us you have pe people normal evangelicals from more conservative churches criticizing us okay so for example for example in the area of pragmatism okay in the area of pragmatism i don't know whether you have any experience in this but have you faced any backlash maybe you voiced out your your views and then maybe your elders <laughs> maybe your church leaders who are for the pragmatic way of doing things maybe what are some of the objections they, they bring to you i don't know if you have any experience oh, okay I, I think um one thing well, i think i was talking to someone uh about woman eldership right the idea that women shouldn't be pastors right now so there, there are a lot of um, people who disagree of course but the thing which i notice is on what basis to disagree with Right. right. So I say, okay, I disagree with one pastor because this is what the Bible says, this is what scripture says. What do you think? 
if the other person says, okay, I disagree with you because you interpret the scriptures wrongly, perhaps your hermeneutic is wrong. Actually, you should interpret the Bible this way. If they talk like that, sure, fine, uh, then we continue discussing uh, which hermeneutic is more consistent. But more often than not, people disagree with me on the basis that, oh, but, but what if there's no um, pastors, no, no male pastors in the church? Right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I hear that all the time. What if, yeah. what if the woman feels called? Or yeah. look at the past, look at history, you know, look at all the great church, uh, great church organizations yeah. and how the church is flourishing. Women leaders, right? All these things, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But you notice, right? Nothing of scripture. Yeah. All of pragmatism, all or more of, of course, it works. Yeah, what you know? works, what and, succeeds. And since yeah. it works, why are you fighting against it, you know? Uh, and, and that is a very big. Um, blow on the sufficiency of scripture yeah yeah uh in my old church okay uh my previous church was a conservative church okay it was even a presbyterian church and i talked to my senior pastor back then about this very issue and in singapore we have bible studies like you know bsf okay our singaporean listeners would probably have heard of bsf bible study fellowship or maybe uh precept that's another study uh in at least these two studies that have become very popular in uh, Singaporean evangelical circles they, they were started by women okay so my, my when I was talking to my pastor back then my old church that why why do you even hold to egalitarianism which is basically you know they are they affirm female pastors he said look at all these great things look at all these great ministries these great women look at what they have done all I asked him was um, pastor, where, where, how does scripture justify that? I mean, how, how does that, you know, um, coincide with what is written in scripture? And of course, you know, you point them to First Timothy two, they say, oh, that was cultural. That was because women always uh, had a, a what tendency to be loud and boisterous, and you know, that in my in my mind, I was like, pastor, isn't that how women have always been? <laughs> Wasn't that the curse of the fall? That your desire will always be contrary to, to the man, right? <laughs> your desire will be contrary to the man. It isn't yeah. But of course, I mean that that's the common answers that many pastors today would even give. You know, they won't even justify their position with scripture, but rather by what works. And, and yeah, that, that's that's so frightening. So yeah, uh yeah, thanks for that, Dave. I think f- for my own experience. Uh, so my, my church uh, uh, Yeah, so uh, for those of y'all wondering okay, I don't think I've mentioned my church In this podcast But I, I go to Gateway Church Okay, It's quite a new church It's affiliated with the Crossing Church Okay, And in essence in essence, We are, we are still quite new churches But uh, we have been growing recently By the grace of God And really what we're all about okay, What we're all about is You know, really viewing the Bible correctly Right, we're all about viewing the Bible correctly through its proper lens, you know, and how we study it, how we apply it in all areas of life. Okay, not just picking and choosing, but we apply the Bible properly in all areas of life. We're already as simple as that. All about that. But yet, okay, I I have heard criticisms, okay, of churches like mine, and there are others. There are others in Singapore who have a similar vision, okay, a similar um, goal approach, you know, towards the Bible. And we are always criticized for a few things. Number one, I've heard that you know people think the charismatics or you know most evangelicals they think that we are very intellectual, that we over intellectualize Christianity. 
Now, where's the spirit? Right? All of you, you know, you worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Right? Where's the Holy Spirit? Right? <laughs> so, again, that's another topic uh, that you know, we could spend so much time focusing on. But a lot, a lot of Christians today, they like to separate Bible and spirit. Which again, I mean, <laughs> what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? He leads us into all truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Right? Who is the word? Jesus incarnate. Jesus himself is the word of God, right? John chapter 1. Uh, and of course, they, they think that we are, they are, we are creating a different God you know, by holding the Bible so highly. But I mean, it's the words of God. I mean, come on. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we, we, we get criticized for over-intellectualizing Christianity, which my answer to that is, I don't think so. I really don't think so. Because, again, this is a matter of a fundamental skill. Okay, I don't even need to address the whole separation between word and spirit. I, I mean, I, I very quickly did that, but, you know, there's no such thing. You know, the spirit is what helps us understand the word. As simple as that. Okay, if the spirit is leading you to something against the word, then I'm afraid you might not really have the Holy Spirit. Rather, it's, I think some other spirit is leading you. <laughs> that's not the Holy Spirit. If it ends up leading you to something that's against God's word. But anyway, I digress. Uh yeah, I, I talked about this to some of my fellow church members and yeah, they, they really find this criticism quite baffling. You know, this is something that even a kid can understand. My church has quite a lot of kids and we teach them the same way. Okay, it's all about whatever verse or passage we look at, we look at the context, we look at the author, the audience, you know, why, why was this written? You know, who was it written to? How would the audience have responded? And, and from there, you know, how can we respond today? You know, very simple, as simple as that. Just getting all these things down when looking at any passage of scripture. We teach that to the kids and they get it. Okay? Even a person who is not very highly educated will get it. Because these are very fundamental skills. Which the problem is not a matter of what we are doing. But the problem is that people are neglecting this fundamental skill. Right? Um, it's not that... Uh, these people are, you know, it's not that so many Christians today are biblically illiterate. Oh, sorry, it's not that so many Christians today um, you know, don't know how to study the Bible because even though they tried to learn, no, it's because they are learning wrongly. Okay, it's because they are learning wrongly. Okay, uh, and yeah, I, I think that that's just a, such a big problem in the church today uh, that leads to really every other problem. I think it starts off with how people view scripture, how people study scripture. And the rest of the problems are a result of that. Yeah. Yeah, let me think of another example, another criticism. Yeah, maybe I have time to cover one more criticism. Other than intellectualizing Christianity, and, and yeah, like, I, I don't know, Dave, can you think of any other criticisms? The, the, the main two I can think of is that we are very yeah, elitist, we are very intellectual, overly intellectual, you know, we downplay experience. Um, then what else? Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 a few things are more tough to think about, man. Because mm. when, when we hear it, we're like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. But I, I think um, one would be the uh, the idea that we're being too critical and when we're being too critical, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we are being divisive. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good right. one. That's a good so, one. Yeah, so I, I think the idea that, you know, hey, come on, you know, as much as you care about the theological truths and doctrines, is it more important to have unity, you know? Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a know, big one, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one big one. Lah. 
Go Chris, what do you think of that critique? <laughs> I like how uh, you, you delegate the question to me. Uh, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you just hold up a mirror, a mirror, and then you reverse it back on me. Yeah, I guess I'm sure you, you probably can I a lot of times, uh. Yeah. Uh, so for Dave and I, we have talked to, we have had many, many conversations about these things with different people. Okay. Um. So happens I have a lot of friends who are very charismatic, or I have a lot of friends who are very evangelical. You no know, typical evangelical who's all about you know why care about all these fighting? Shouldn't we be like? Shouldn't we be more Christ-like and be more accepting and be more loving and be more open and tolerant? I mean, of course, that, that sounds a lot like secularist language, but I mean, yeah, you see how it slowly infiltrates into the church. But anyway, uh, of course, of course, I'm not saying that a lot of these people are going to hell per se. Okay, that one, I, I do not know. I do not know their hearts fundamentally, okay? God knows. But at the rate that a lot of these people are going, I fear, you know, and, and a lot of these people, a lot of Christians in Singapore, in the churches that they are in, they're being given the kind of so-called food that they're being given. I mean, there is room to be concerned. I, I, I do think that there's room to fear for their eternal state, right? At the end of the day, of course, God is the ultimate judge. But, of course, you must understand that if, to, if one were to judge more harshly, I'm pretty sure God will judge more harshly than me. <laughs> if you think I'm judgmental, imagine how judgmental God will be. You know, just, just imagine that. Okay, just think about it from that perspective. Uh, as much as, yes, it is the gospel that saves us. Okay, as much as you know, people affirm that Jesus, Jesus is the only way to salvation, we can't save ourselves. We are saved by God's grace, not by our good works. And these are very fundamental things that I, I, I would say are enough to save a person. But again, I don't think that's a good reason for people to stay in churches where they are being fed very, no, very fishy and questionable doctrines. If, even if you have a church that might affirm those basic truths about Christianity, but it talks, you know, that, that encourages you to speak in tongues, you know, in a, in a fashion that is very contrary to how scripture talks about speaking in tongues, for example, I think there's room to fear. You know, because that person would have a very wrong understanding of the Holy Spirit, which in essence would lead to a wrong understanding of God. And again, that's very scary. I wouldn't want to be that person, you know. And I hope that if you have friends in such positions, you wouldn't want them to stay there either. Okay, I think true love does not call us to be tolerant, but rather true love calls us to call out with gentleness, okay, and to lead them to the truth. Okay, I think scripture is very clear that we are supposed to lead. If we are people who really love truth, we have to hate falsehood. Okay, true love calls us to hate certain things, right? If you love truth, you will hate falsehood. If you love, you no, know, if you love life, you will hate death. You no, know, that kind of thing. You know, it doesn't. It, yeah, it doesn't mean that we we, are, we become super tolerant. It doesn't mean we become you know hippies. You know, we just sing kumbaya together. But no, I mean there are things in the church today which really need reform. There are things in Singapore's church in particular that yeah, we really need to go back to the Bible. This is not a matter of debate or discussion. You know, um, I mean, what did Jesus really come to do? Okay, again, what did Jesus really come to do? Did Jesus come to heal the sick, feed the poor, reach out to the minority groups as some Christians really like to emphasize on? No. Okay, if you read, for example, the Gospel of Mark, 
plainly, you see that Jesus always focused on preaching. Jesus always focused on exposing falsehood. In his example, is mainly the Pharisees, right? But Jesus always preached and he always asked people to listen, okay? It's not, Jesus didn't say, look at all my good works, huh? look at all my humanitarian efforts, huh? No, Jesus said, listen, okay, to what I have to say about myself, okay? Uh, and that's what we have to follow. You are, if people ask us to be more Christ-like, I will say, yes, I agree. <laughs> Let's be more Christ-like and preach the gospel and call out falsehood wherever there's falsehood, you know? Um, yeah, and did, did people love Jesus for his words? No. Every time Jesus proclaimed a truth, especially one that condemns, his crowd disperses. <laughs> if you read the Gospels, that's the plain pattern. People want, either want to stone him or people will just disperse because they cannot take his teaching. So I think in that manner, yes, we have to be more Christ-like and I think we have to continue reforming the church, continue reforming Christianity, you know, always bringing it back to what the Bible says. Okay, uh, we are about 45 minutes into our episode. Maybe, uh, I don't know, do you have anything else to add, Mr. David? Uh, of course, I'd like to ask any resources. Wow. Uh, <laughs> like wow. I have, the first thing I can think of, right, the, just right off the bat, um, is the Sufficiency of Scripture Conference. Uh, by grace to by you. By grace to you. Yeah, yeah that was good. That was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid that in a Singaporean context, we don't have many Singaporean authors that address these things in detail. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think a lot of our American buddies, <laughs> uh, because I think a lot of things in America are very similar in Singapore in terms of you know sufficiency yeah. of scripture and all of that. And yeah, like what David pointed out, the sufficiency of scripture conference by Grace to You on YouTube is very helpful. Okay, addressing these things. Um. Yeah, I, I, I guess for the other things, like social justice, I mean, that's not a super Singaporean thing, but I think it might be helpful as well. Uh, Founders Ministry on YouTube also has material on this. Uh, I think they have a documentary called By What Standard, okay, that addresses all these you know, social justice kind of issues um, that threaten the sufficiency of scripture as well. Um, yeah, the, the documentary is called By What Standard. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think those things are helpful. Might be quite academic to some people, but yeah, if you have any questions, always feel free to hit me up on Instagram. I'll be I'll be glad to help you wherever I can, however I can. Okay, uh, if nothing else, yeah, I think that's about it. That's about it for today's episode. Uh, I want to wish all of our listeners a very blessed Reformation Day. Keep reforming, uh, semper reformenda, as it says in the Latin. And yeah, I, I think in our next episodes, uh, I know I haven't uploaded in a while. I've just been really thinking about what I should cover um, over the course of the next few episodes. And I think we can, we can, or rather I can say that uh, based on what we've been talking about today, I guess we can cover more about the charismatic movement. Maybe a bit yeah. about, <laughs> maybe a bit about, you know, cessationism and continuationism, whatever those terms mean, right? Wait, 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 when Chris talks about a bit, he means five episodes. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where the spirit leads, okay? <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, maybe I can also talk about the roles of men and women, okay? Um, the, no, what, what does the Bible say about women pastors, if anything? Okay, I think those are very controversial, hot, hotly debated issues in Singapore. 
Uh, and yeah, I think I think I'll, I'll work on those topics in our future episodes. So look forward to those. Um, yeah, thanks David for joining me on this episode, and God bless. I'm <laughs> <laughs>